All right, so put yourself in this, in this scenario. You're at your home. Let's pretend if you, if you don't own a home, you own a home because this doesn't work if you rent a place because this scenario wouldn't happen. But you're in your home that you own and something goes wrong, like something in your house breaks or it's defective or something like that. How many of you are DIYers? Like you're going to do this, you're going to handyman it, you're going to, like everybody has to vote at least once, okay? So if you think I'm just going to keep my hand down, no, you have to vote. So DIYers, let me see your hand again. Okay, how many are like, no, it doesn't matter how much it costs, I'm, I'm forking out the cash and I'm getting a professional in here for that. All right, you guys, you guys need to work on, like, when I say participation, because, like, I think only, like, 30% of you actually voted. <laughs> Is anybody, like, in between? It just depends on the job. All right, all right, that, that's fair. That's fair. I guess I should have added that option in there. Um, I like to be a DIYer. Um, that's, that's what I, I mean, that's what a good husband does, right? Like, you got to DIY things that, that, that break around the house. Um, we, had, uh, we had just moved to Marysville, uh, and we, we just bought our house. And uh, not too long into it, we started getting a, a dripping shower, right? You ever had a dripping shower? You get the, the annoying like little sound that happens, but even more so, more importantly than that, your water bill, when you're paying the city of Marysville, goes up, right? Nobody wants a leaky shower around. So me being the really good husband and the very, you know, very good handyman that I am, um, I decided that I was going to, I want to fix this, it's just a leaky, it's just a leaky shower, it can't be that big of a deal, so I do what any good DIYer does, and that's search on YouTube, right? Like, YouTube is making professionals out of just ordinary guys like me all the time. So I go on, and I, I'm like, Chelsea, I got this, I don't, we don't need to call anybody, I can do this, I've got this under control, I'm watching these YouTube videos, and after I've watched, you know, 12, 13, 17 YouTube videos on how to make my shower stop dripping, all I have to do is change out this little uh, O-ring thing, I think that it's called, uh, and, and I figure this out, I go to Ace, I get the O-ring, and I come back, and I start to, uh, you have to take off like the cartridge, I think. I don't know, you plumbers, you might know this a little bit more than me. You have to take off the cartridge to get to where the O-ring is and then put it back together. Easy enough, right? Like, I, I got this. I'm a guy. I can do this. So I get in there, and I've got this tool that you have to use to, to, to twist it and unscrew it and not break it. And so I'm getting there, and man, like, this is tough. I don't know if this should be this tough. So I just need a little bit more elbow grease, right? Like, I just got to put my weight into it. And so I'm turning this cartridge. Like, I got to get in there, and it just breaks right off of the copper tubing. The copper pipe breaks and I've got myself in a bigger mess than when I started because now I have to cut the pipe, replace part of the pipe. I've got to, I've got to solder. Like that's what it's called, right? Steve solder. I have to solder the, I've got to solder. So that means I have to go watch more YouTube videos on soldering to figure out how to solder. I got to go buy the soldering stuff. I had, I, but I did it. Chelsea will admit that I, I got it done, right? It may or may not have been a few months. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate that, that, that applause. It may or may not have been a few-month project, but, uh, but, but I did it. But that's like, there's this like running kind of joke in our house. Like, that's how projects go for me. It starts with something small, and I'm like, I got this. Like, no, and Chelsea's like, are you sure? I don't, I don't know if you can do this. I don't know if, I think we should call somebody. I'm like, hey, I got this. I, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I have YouTube, right? Like, why would I not be able to do this? 
And they always turn into this bigger project that, that I could ever imagine. And I need, to, I need to reach out to someone. Fortunately, I have a brother who's a handyman. He's pretty good at this. Guy. Unfortunately, he lives in Cincinnati. So I'm always finding myself in the middle of projects. Like I call Chris. I'm like, hey, Chris, you got a minute? He's like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> I was like, hey, I'm going to switch you over to FaceTime. And I get on FaceTime, flip the phone around and be like, Here's my mess. What do I need to do to clean it up? And he'll walk me through it. But I always find myself in these jobs that are bigger than myself and bigger than what I imagined they would be. And I'm always needed to, to, uh, to reach out to someone beyond me. As a church, over the past uh, couple of months, we've been in this campaign that we've called All In. And the idea of all in is that for three years, we're going to be all in for some very lofty goals, some very lofty goals that are bigger than anything we could do on our own. So for the next three years, we've set goals like we want to raise $120,000 to do some building upgrades uh, in our church. We want to start 12 new prayer groups. We want to start 12 new small groups. We want to add 12 members of our care of, of our uh, congregation care team. We want to we want to experience 120 salvations and baptisms over the next three years. We've set these lofty goals. We want to be all in for these lofty goals. But when we think about those numbers, this is something that is bigger than us. This is bigger than anything you or I can accomplish on our own. There has to be something bigger to this. And so for the past few weeks, we've, we've determined that in order to be all in, in order to do this, we need to be immersed in a handful of different things. And so we've gone through the Immersed series, and we've decided that if, if we're going to make this happen, we first need to be immersed in prayer. We have to saturate everything that we're doing through this campaign in prayer. We have to seek God's guidance, uh, talk to God about it. Second, we've said that we need to be immersed in Jesus. Kind of sounds like a no-brainer, but I think it's important to say that everything that we should do as a church, as individual followers of Christ, but as a church, needs to be immersed in Jesus. And we've talked about how the longer we do this and we're in communion with Jesus, the way that we act, the way that we think, the way that we talk begins to reflect Jesus. Then we talked about to be all in, we have to be immersed in others with others. So we talked about how if we're going to do this, we must immerse ourselves in our community. We must immerse ourselves in the lives of lost people. We have to be willing to get dirty, to get messy, to go where lost people are. And last week, Pastor Paul reminded us that we don't do that alone, right? We immerse in others, but with others. And so that means with others from our congregation, but it also means with other kingdom builders around us. You know, and we understand that Marysville Church of the Nazarene is not the only place in Marysville where kingdom work is happening right now. There are other churches that are gathering doing kingdom work. And so when we immerse in others, we do it with others from our church, yes, but also from other uh, kingdom builders and churches in our area. This is what it means to be immersed. This morning, we're going to wrap up this immersed series and we're going to talk about one more thing that we need to be immersed in. And so this morning, we're going to, we're going to say that we must be immersed in the Spirit. Or another way to put it, we must be immersed in finding God's direction. 
The truth is, we are all ordinary people. As much as I would like to stand up here and tell you that I am this extraordinary DIY kind of guy, the truth is, is that I'm very ordinary. When it comes to DIY, like I might even be subordinary. I don't know if that's a thing or not. We're all ordinary people. But here's the cool thing. Scripture is full of stories of ordinary people who have immersed themselves in the Spirit, who have devoted their lives to finding and following God's direction that do extraordinary things. We, as ordinary people, will only live this extraordinary mission through the power of our extraordinary God. So today, to talk about this idea of immersing in the Spirit and immersing in God's direction, we want to look at one of those guys from Scripture who immersed himself in the Spirit and God's direction and did some extraordinary things. So we're going to be talking about Philip. Philip, you'll find the story of Philip uh, in the book of Acts. If you remember, the book of Acts is, uh, is kind of the, the story, the history of the church after Jesus had departed. And so to get us up to Philip, I just want, kind of want to recap the story. Uh, so you find Jesus has been, uh, Jesus has been crucified, buried, uh, raised to life, and he's addressing his followers. Now, he's giving them instructions on the mission that they're to, to follow. And in one particular passage, uh, Acts chapter 1-8, you'll remember that Jesus kind of tells them what, his, what their mission field would be. And he says, you will be my witnesses in, does anybody remember where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. And Jesus says, when you do that, you'll go and be witnesses to all of these places. And the Holy Spirit, this gift that I'm promising you, I'm about to leave you, but the Father will send this gift that is even better. This gift will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power as you go and witness to these places. And so he's kind of giving them this pep talk and then he ascends into heaven and it's the disciples left to carry on the mission of Jesus. Then we see this extraordinary event known as Pentecost where the people are gathered together and this gift of the Holy Spirit is given to the people and these crazy things start to happen. You remember from the story that there were tongues of fire and everybody was able to understand different languages in their own language. And it was just this crazy thing. And so Peter, being the good preacher that he was, uh, stood up to address the crowd to kind of explain what was going on here. And as he's explaining, his key theme is this, go, repent, and be baptized. And so we see from, uh, from this Pentecost moment and Peter's preaching about the Holy Spirit and the need to repent and be baptized, we see that the church begins to grow very rapidly. Uh, if, we, if we look in, in, in chapter 2, verse 42 and, and following, uh, we kind of see what the church was up to, devoting themselves to uh, teaching and, and fellowship and things like that. But, but what it ends with is saying that uh, the church numbers were added to them daily. The church was growing. And so we see the disciples continuing the mission of Jesus. They walk around and they're healing people and they're teaching people and they're preaching the word of God and they're encouraging repentance and baptism. And they begin to experience pushback from the authorities. 
You'll remember the authorities were not very happy about what Jesus had done to the point where they crucified him. And now the followers of Jesus are continuing this mission, going around healing and teaching this gospel of peace that is counter authority, the authority of the day. And, and it's a problem. And so there's this pushback and this resistance. And we see that regardless of that, the church still goes through extraordinary growth, which I think is of interesting note, not an entire sermon like I could do on this, but I think there's something to be said about the growth that happens to the church when the church isn't in a place of power. So the church grows and, and numbers are added daily. Uh, and, and despite this resistance, the mission continues. And as with any good church, as the church uh, continues along, complaints start to happen. In this particular scenario, there were some Grecian Jew widows, meaning that they were not born into the, Jew, the Jewish culture, but they were Greeks and they had converted to, to, uh, to Judaism. And there were some widows who were being overlooked in the distribution of food. You remember from earlier chapters of Acts, they talked about how the church took care of people. They had systems set in place so that nobody was in need. But now we find uh, this group of widows who were experiencing being overlooked in these systems of distributing uh, the food. In the midst of this, in the midst of these complaints and these women being overlooked, the disciples, the ones who are continuing Jesus' mission, decided to put their heads together and come up with a solution for this. Now, as we talk about this solution, there's, in my mind, I think, I don't know if they came up with the best solution or not. Because here's what they did. The disciples, they got together and they said, we're going to appoint seven people to be servants, to serve all the people, to make sure that everyone is taken care of. And the reasoning they gave was because we're too busy praying and studying the word of God. <laughs> I don't know about you, but as a pastor, I'm like, Man, I don't know if you guys should have done that. Like, we got to serve too, you know what I mean? But this is the solution that they came up with. They said, we're devoting ourselves to this, and so we're going to appoint the seven to, uh, to devote themselves to serving to make sure that this does not happen again. So, two of those guys, two of those guys that were appointed as the seven, one was Stephen. You'll remember Stephen because he was kind of the, the first Christian martyr, and the other one, being Philip. So we find Philip as this ordinary man who was appointed to be a servant, to make sure that all of this other stuff was taken care of. We fast forward a little bit in the, in the story, and we find this is when Stephen is being stoned, and this is the start of this great persecution of the church. This is where we're going to pick up the story. We're in Acts chapter 8. Uh, we're going to start in verse 3. I'm going to read it to you from the message just because the, the story flows a little bit nicer. So if you want to follow along, you can. But Acts chapter 8, remember, this is where we're picking ourselves up. Uh, there's this great persecution that has begun. Acts chapter 8, verse 3 says, And Saul, remember Saul, became Paul but was a persecutor of the church. And Saul just went wild, devastating the church, entering house after house after house dragging men and women off to jail. Forced to leave home base, the followers of Jesus 
all became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the message about Jesus. Going down to a Samaritan city, Philip proclaimed the message of the Messiah. Remember, Philip is one of the seven who were appointed to serve. Philip proclaimed the message of the Messiah. When the people heard what he had, what he had to say and saw the miracles, the clear signs of God's action, they hung on his every word. Many who could neither stand nor walk were healed that day. The evil spirits protested loudly as they were sent on their way. And what joy in the city. So we have, we have, uh, we have the church in the midst of this great persecution. What happened? They were forced to scatter from their hometowns. They were forced to leave because of this great persecution. Now, Philip, if you remember, was appointed to be one of the seven to serve and to take care of the, the distribution of the food and things like that to make sure everybody was taken care of. Philip used this opportunity of being scattered around to preach in Samaria. Now, remember with me, if you will, for just a second, the things that were said about Samaria from previous stories in the New Testament. Remember how people felt and how people talked about Samaria. But Philip, being scattered because of the persecution, used this opportunity to preach in Samaria. And what we see is this great revival breaks out in Samaria because of the ones who were devoted to serving. Not through the praying and the word guys. The revival came through those who had devoted themselves to serving. Let's pick up the story a little bit. We're going to jump ahead a few verses. We're going to pick up the story in, uh, in, in verse 26. So this is after Peter, uh, after Peter, not Peter, sorry, after Philip uh, had started this revival in Samaria. He says, uh, the scripture says, later, God's angel spoke to Philip. At noon today, notice first of all, before I go any further, Notice where Philip is getting his instruction here. Later, God's angel spoke to Philip. At noon today, I want you to walk over to that desolate road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. So Philip is receiving the guidance of the Spirit, the direction of God, and listen to what he does. He got up and went. He met an Ethiopian eunuch coming down the road. The eunuch had been on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and was returning to Ethiopia, where he was minister in charge of all the finances of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was riding in a chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit told Philip, climb into the chariot. Notice who told Philip. The spirit told Philip, climb into the chariot. Notice what happens next. Action. Running up alongside, Philip heard the eunuch reading Isaiah and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? He answered, How can I without some help? And invited Philip into the chariot with him. The passage he was reading was this, As a sheep led to slaughter, and quiet as a lamb being sheared, he was silent, saying nothing. He was mocked and put down, never got a fair trial. But who now can count his kin since he's been taken from the earth? The eunuch said, Tell me, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or some other? Philip grabbed his chance. Using this passage as his text, he preached Jesus to him. 
As they continued down the road, they came to a stream of water. The eunuch said, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down to the water and Philip baptized him on the spot. This is where it gets a little bit funny. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of God suddenly took Philip off, and that was the last the eunuch saw of him. But he didn't mind. He had what he'd come for and went on down the road as happy as could be. Philip showed up in Azotus and continued north, preaching the message in all the villages along the route until he arrived at Caesarea. So we see Philip, this very ordinary man, who was appointed to be a servant of the people to make sure all of the people were taken care of and the church is scattered because of persecution and he found his opportunity in Samaria to preach the gospel and he began this great revival and then we see that the Spirit gave him direction to go somewhere else. Now I don't know about you, but think about what Philip was probably experiencing when he began this great revival in Samaria. As a pastor, a leader in a church, my mind goes to think like, man, if I'm seeing this great revival and awesome things are going, I kind of want to stick around to see the rest of it, right? But the Spirit leads Philip, tells Philip to go. And remember, what does Philip do when the Spirit says go? He got up and went. And he goes, to, uh, he goes to this desolate road and meets this Ethiopian eunuch. And it's here where we see this beautiful story of conversation and redemption. Now, I want to point to something back from earlier in, in Acts. Remember Acts chapter 1-8 that we talked about, where Jesus said that uh, you will be my witnesses to where? Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Now, what's really interesting is when we look at the story of Philip, this is playing out right here through Philip. This promise that Jesus had made that when you go and be my witness in in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth, the Holy Spirit will come on you, you'll get power, and it will be awesome. We're seeing this playing out through the story of Philip. You see, the church had kind of been stuck in Jerusalem and Judea. Why were they stuck? Well, I kind of think maybe it was because they were a little bit comfortable. You see, they had been spreading the word. They had been preaching. They had been building their church in this place where people looked like them. And people thought like them. And people acted like them. And people probably voted the same as they voted. And this is where they built their church. And it was kind of stuck in this Jerusalem and Judea. But what happens when the persecution comes? The church is then scattered. When things become uncomfortable, the church is scattered. And in Philip alone, we see he begins this great revival in Samaria. And then the Spirit then leads him to go somewhere else, to the desolate road. So we see Acts 1.8 This idea of witnessing to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the ends of the earth being played out in the life of the ordinary Philip who's immersed in the Spirit and following God's direction for his life. While we certainly have an obligation to build the kingdom of God among those who are like us, I think God has a bigger mission in mind. 
He is calling us to move beyond our comfort zones. God uses Philip, this, ex- this ordinary man with a servant's heart who was immersed in the Spirit, who had devoted himself and opened himself to God's leading to fulfill Acts 1.8. He used him to lead this great revival in Samaria and to bring redemption to the Ethiopian eunuch. Again, as I mentioned before, you can kind of draw your own conclusions about the attitudes of the disciples who were too busy to take care of the other people. But one thing is very clear to me. God used this ordinary man with a servant's attitude to do extraordinary things. It was through the people who devoted themselves to serving that God did extraordinary things. We need servants' hearts if we're going to accomplish God's extraordinary mission. I think there's a couple reasons that people with servants' hearts are effective. First is this. Individuals with servants' hearts make others a priority. I like to think of of Philippians when when Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and he's talking about being Christ-like and he's talking about how that means that we put other people's interests above our own interests. People with servants' hearts get that. People with servants' hearts understand that it's not my best interest that matters. I'm going to put other people's interests above mine and in our world that doesn't make a lot of sense. Second, I think individuals with servants' hearts are willing to let go of their own agenda. Philip, remember Philip, he didn't feel like he needed to call all the shots. He was willing to serve. He was willing to follow. I think that God is able to use people with that kind of an attitude. You see, when our own agenda becomes our primary focus, God's ability to use us is greatly diminished. But when we focus on God's agenda, God can use us in extraordinary ways. So then the invitation this morning is not just to immerse yourself in the Spirit, but also to immerse yourself in God's agenda. It's an invitation to make the right next step. I think that sometimes when we think about God's direction for our life and where God's going to take us, I think we can easily complicate things by getting caught up and only looking at the big picture. Like I need to see God's plan for all of my life. I need to understand where this is going. When we think about the all-in campaign and we look at the numbers, the numbers can be very overwhelming. When we just look at the big picture of the goals that we have, it can be extremely overwhelming. Think back to the story of Philip, though. When the Spirit first called Philip to go, guess what the Spirit didn't do? He did not lay out the entire path and plans for Philip. He said, go to this desolate road. And so Philip Philip went. And then as he was on his way, the Spirit then did what? told him the next right step. What if rather than getting so caught up in the big, the grand, trying to figure out all the big stuff, if we were willing to just take the right next step? So what is that right 
next step for you right now? What is God leading to you to do? You're not going to see all the answers of what it's going to look like down the road, but right now, what is the right next step? So over this past series, we've been, uh, we've been asking for a few commitments based on each sermon. And as we wrap this up with our last sermon in the Immerse series, I want, to, I want to challenge you with a few more commitments. First of all is this, I am committed to taking the next right step. I'm committing to taking the right next step. Again, think through the story of Philip. Spirit told him this, he did that. Then the Spirit told him the next thing, and he did that. I'm willing to take the next right step. Second commitment is this, I will listen to the Spirit's guidance as relationships develop. One of the things that you remember from uh, that, that we've, been, we've been hammering on with this idea of immerse is this is mostly based on relationships, our ability to build relationships with people inside our church, but also people outside of our church. Would you be willing to listen to the Spirit's guidance in relationships as they develop? Think about the relationship between Philip uh, and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, the, the, the Spirit's guidance did not stop with, with Philip learning where to go. Like, it wasn't like the Spirit said, you need to go to this desolate road, and then that was the end of the Spirit's guidance. We see that as he went on, and even as this relationship between uh, Philip and the eunuch developed, he was continuously listening for the Spirit's guidance. Would you be willing to listen to the Spirit's guidance as your relationships develop? The third commitment is this. I will be willing and able to give an answer for my faith. Remember when Philip and, and the eunuch are sitting down together and the eunuch starts asking these questions about the faith. Philip is willing and ready to give the answers that point to Jesus. Would you be committed to be willing and able to give the answer for your faith in a way that points to Jesus? Fourth commitment is this, I will be willing and able to lead someone to relationship with Jesus. Again, with Philip and, and the eunuch, they're sitting there and the eunuch starts asking questions. And I love how the scripture says, Philip jumped at the opportunity. He saw this open door to point him to Jesus, and so he took it. Now, the truth is, is that in every conversation and relationship that you have, that open door is not going to jump out like that. It's a long process of building relationship and having conversations, but this commitment is asking, and when the, when the door is open, at the right time when the Spirit leads you, are you willing and able to lead someone to a relationship with Jesus? If you're struggling, like, man, I don't know how to do that. That's where us as a pastoral staff would love to give you some uh, guidance and advice on that. But would you be willing and able to lead someone in that relationship with Jesus? And the final commitment is this. I will be open to opportunities to begin ongoing conversations gathered around the word of God. When you think of Philip, he began this conversation, and what was the centerpiece of their conversation? It was the Word of God. 
Now, Philip, this was kind of convenient for Philip because when he met up with the eunuch, the eunuch was already reading uh, the Bible. And so that was very easy. He's already reading the Word of God. In our conversations, our relationships, they're probably not going to start out by centering ourselves around the Word of God. But I wonder if you would be willing to commit to taking opportunities to center our conversations around the Word of God, to center our conversations in here, in small groups, and Sunday school classes around the Word of God, but also to do it outside of these walls. And when you gather with neighbors and friends, that somehow you find opportunities to center the conversation around the Word of God. I wonder what would happen in your home, your neighborhood, our church, our community, if each and every one of us would be willing to commit to being immersed in prayer, to being immersed in Jesus, to be immersed in others with others, and to be immersed in God's agenda. I happen to think that if that were the case, we might begin to see glimpses of the description of the early church in Acts chapter 2, that says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May we be a church that looks like that. 